Welcome to the pen and the yad. This week's double Torah parsha is Achremot Kedoshim. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshayamit Synagogue in Chicago sits down with author Jonathan Eig and asks, how do we define holiness in our time? One of the things that happens in a double portion is that you have two very different foci. And so in the portion of Achremot, much of it's devoted to observing Yom Kippur and the experience of Yom Kippur, of coming before God on Yom Kippur. And it's fascinating to think about how Judaism develops to the Yom Kippur that we have. The question I have is, when you finish Yom Kippur, do you feel like you have had a religious experience? Do you feel different when you walk out the door? Do you feel like you've got more questions than answers or more answers than questions? Well, I feel hungry usually for... That's for starters. <laughs> That's but, um, very powerful. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and I actually, you know, you think about that a lot. It, you know, I used to argue with my parents, you know, what's the point of being hungry all the time the whole day? Because you can't concentrate when you're hungry. And if I'm supposed to be concentrating on my prayers and making a list of all the things I've, I've all the sins that I've got to atone for, I could do it better if I weren't so distracted by this, you know, aching hunger. But I think it varies from year to year. It depends on where I'm at and my state of mind and just how well I'm prepared and, and whether I'm really ready to do the work. It takes work. and it's, um, It does, but I guess when you leave the room, do you feel like you have gained from it? And if you have, what have you gained? Most of the time. Not always. Sometimes I feel like I'm going through the motions. And when I feel like I've gained, I feel like I've... A, appreciated my life. B, thought about the things that I can do better. And then C, you know, just felt closer to God and felt more alive, more uh, engaged with the, with the world around me. Do you think that's the purpose of, of religion? I don't know. <laughs> I was going to have to ask you what's the point of religion. Because, you know, I, I had this conversation with you once before. I went to a Baptist church on the south side, and I came away so overjoyed with the experience and I took my daughter said the same thing she said it's it's like so much easier it's so much more fun it's so much more engaging you know exactly what you're doing you're you're making yourself feel better all the time with the songs and you're you're praying to God you know in in the most emotional way you can and you're doing it's more like hands-on it's more tangible what you know the point of what you're here for and it was um it made me think, you know, what's the point of these religious ceremonies, especially when we conduct a lot of it in Hebrew, and I can't understand a lot of it. Why, you know, what am I getting out of, or what am I supposed to get out of? What can I do to get more out of it when I feel like I'm just saying the same prayers every week, and I don't even understand those prayers, and often I'm, I find myself getting distracted and wandering and thinking about, you know, the Yankees and their problem in their bullpen. So what am I doing wrong? And why do we do it this way in, in Judaism when, it's, when it requires so much, so much work? I want you to think about how you presented that. <laughs> Here it goes. I'm in trouble now. We went to a Baptist church on the south side, and I felt so much better. My daughters said, this is so easy. And we sang, and we engaged, and it was all about feeling better. Yeah, those are those are never Jewish. <laughs> the Jews, <are> it. <laughs> like, like those are never, those are those are terms we rarely feel better. I, no, I don't. Who, who told you you're supposed to feel better? It's about the suffering. No, yeah, but it's really about connecting. So in Jewish prayer, we're connecting with the past sacrifices, 
and this notion of what does it mean to engage with God and the Jewish people and Torah. All of these ideas come together. And I'm not worried about engaging with the community or where I stand in the universe or where I am with the Baptists around the world or whatever denomination people are praying at. That's not the focus of my prayer. My prayer is about my redemption. Whereas in Jewish prayers, the prayers of the Amidah are all about prayers of the Jewish people. You're invited to listen. Hmm. It's the exact opposite of how, of how we understand it. And in a society where it's all about me, is this a good use of my time? What am I going to get out of this? Right. Okay. I get it. And, I'm sounding a little and, selfish. No, I'm suggesting that we're talking about very different worldviews. And what's so interesting about it is that at the end of the day, this is all about ritual. But if you think about what does it mean to be a Jew? Is it mean, you know, you stand with a book and you feel badly and beat your breast? The next portion that's connected to this whole portion that's almost totally devoted to the intricacies of the ritual leads into the portion of Kedoshim, which has one of the most, if not the most startling and revolutionary statements. It says, Kedoshim tihiyu ki kadosh ani Adonai Elohechem. You will be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Show me another religion where people are commanded to be holy because God is holy. In other words, that that's your raison d'etre. That's why you're here. So what do you think is going to follow from that? Okay, so well, how, do you, how, how do you, how be do you become holy? How, yeah, well, that's what okay. I need. I need instructions. So what do you? Th- so guess what's going to follow next? Because how am I supposed to be like God? God's saying be holy because I'm holy. Is that saying that I have to, I have to be like God, that I have to... Um, and what would that even what mean? What would that mean? Because I, I can't even no... conceive of that. Exactly. So it, it, that feels like a fool's errand. Okay. So if, if I had to guess, and I didn't know the answer already, I would say, oh, well, this is going to now tell me how I can be more engaged through a ritual. Keep kosher, do this. Keep Shabbat. Keep the holidays. No. What follows is a list of ethical moral aphorisms. Things like don't curse the deaf, don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind. How do we care for people? How do we care for the universe? It's a worldview. And it comes to a pinnacle where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. The pinnacle of religion, if I can get to that point, which is, and I'm going to say this, and even as I say it, it's going to sound nonsensical. It's actually to see the world, not through your eyes, or not to see the world through my eyes, but see the world through God's eyes. Can I do that? Mm-hmm. And how do I get there? Well, th- this is what I love about Judaism, and, and this is why I haven't uh, you know, been going as often to the Baptist church, even though I really enjoyed it. It's a great relief, um, by the way. It's a great relief to me. Um, but this is what I love about it, because it, it, the, the ethics, the laws, the study of, the, of, of what makes you a better person is endlessly interesting, and, it, and it's a core part of my Jewish identity, the this, this search for justice, not just um, as it affects me, but as it affects the world. How can we make the world a more just place? And building to that pinnacle you know, of loving your neighbor as you love yourself is a great ideal. And I wonder if all of these little things, the, you know, keeping kosher and observing Shabbat, 
um, are the stepping stones to helping us achieve that bigger worldview. Well, I think that I think that if you observe Shabbat on, in any way, sitting with your family, taking a moment to turn everything off, just to be, and to focus on the creation itself. How am I engaged with the world? That's the start of having this idea that maybe it's not all about me after all, that there is something beyond me that is the life force in the universe, the God who is the creative force. This doesn't take away from the scientific evidence about the Big Bang Theory or anything else like that. It's about what's the, what's the source of life? Is there something beyond us, a order in the universe, a God that orders things? And how do I connect with that? Is there a being in the universe that has expectations of us as to how to live? And what's so fascinating here is it's not how I, I serve God by being a human being. I serve God by how I interact with animals, with people, with people who are on the margins. That's how I become holy. That to me is such a fascinating idea. It's so unexpected. Yeah, and what I'm enjoying about this conversation is that we're, we're really talking about the biggest picture stuff. Like, what's the point of religion? And that leads, you know, like, what's the point of life? Are you living to get a place in heaven? Or are you living to make sure your place on earth is as great as it can be and as, as full of potential and as full of love for yourself and your neighbor as it can be? And I think, you know, what you're saying is that this is what gives meaning to life. It's the living it in the way that most resembles what God has charged us to do. You know how, how many times the afterlife is referred to in the Torah? I'm going to go with zero. Zero is a very All good right, guess. Right. Zero, yeah. way to yeah. go. No. It, the, the Torah does, is not concerned with the afterlife. There are rabbinic interpretations that point to certain quotations here and there. But the reality is, is there's nothing that's easily defined that has anything to do with the afterlife. The Torah is a book about how do you engage with the world in a way that's going to raise your consciousness so that when you are confronted with a ethical moment of how do I care for another person? What do I do in terms of the environment? that I will be directed. I'll have an understanding of what my responsibility is as opposed to, well, you know, in this particular situation, it would be good if I did that, but it's really not in my best interest. Is there a voice beyond us, a power beyond us? Can we think like that when I'm walking down the street and someone is being bullied and my involvement might feel either dangerous or uncomfortable? Is there something that says, wait a minute, you have a responsibility to do this. Well, yeah, well, putting yourself second or realizing that you are not the only soul in the universe is really important. And it helps, I think, to cope with the idea that, that there may not be a heaven, that, that this may be all we get. So that's okay, because my job is to live the best I, that I can while I'm here. I want to circle back, though, and I want to focus on the prophetic voice. Because the prophetic voice, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea... That voice has changed the world because that passion of moral outrage that flows from this, right? When you see the world where people are doing the exact opposite of loving their neighbors as yourself, the prophets are the ones who respond and they don't take any prisoners with their words. They're, they're very tough on the Jewish people. And for Christians and Jews... That prophetic voice is very real. 
So the fact that we may worship differently doesn't have anything to do with the fact that we can be any less effective in the public square. And I think of King and I think of others. You know, where does he get the passion? The passion comes from the prophets. That's right. Um, let justice roll down. Like a mighty stream. Like a mighty I mean, stream. That, that, those, those words flow out of him. And at the end of the day, he's seeing the world through God's eyes. And his voice and the anger and his unwillingness to, to give up. There's a, ter- there's a terrible term. It's called compassion burnout. Mm. I hear this from time to time. Oh, Rabbi, you know, I used to really get inv- I was really involved with um, feeding the hungry. But, you know, it's a problem that's never going to get solved. I just don't know what else I can do. So I don't get involved. I just, you know, focus on stuff that means something to me. Compassion burnout is not a Jewish idea. I can you imagine sitting down with Isaiah and saying, you know, I used to, I used to take care of the poor, but I, I, you know, my life got in the way. Life's too short. <laughs> if you survive that conversation, yeah, right. that would be something. I think at the end of the day, what is religion about? When you walk out of a service on Yom Kippur, it's not simply a matter of how I deal with my own personal tshuva and how I'm going to make my relationships better, which, are, which is very important. How do I live with a higher consciousness? Mm-hmm. How can I come closer to loving my neighbor as myself? Yeah. King called it the beloved community, um, which is a lot better than the uh, compassion burnout. Um, but the beloved community suggests that we're all praying together for a better world, regardless of what religion we're praying to, what kind of church we're going to, but that... The goal is to create one community that we all love each other. Yeah, and that's the goal. And it sounds farther from our reach than ever, but it's there. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks. <laughs>